This message is provided by Bridgeway Community Church. Thanks for tuning in. Well, good morning, Bridgeway. I'll add my words of welcome. It's great to see you here today. And as Justin said, I'm excited to dive back into our Rhythms series. We've been looking at habits and disciplines and things that we just believe will help you grow in your Christian faith and journey. Before I dive in, though, I really want to take a moment and just pause and sort of uh, recognize in our community that for many of you here today, uh, I can imagine that this week was incredibly emotional and draining uh, with the events around Michigan State University. And just, um, I know so many of you are alumni there or you have kids at that university or you have friends that attend there. And even if you don't, um, I just think it was, it was one of those times where we just are again confronted with a world that just seems like it's, it's falling apart. And I wanted to just encourage you this morning that when we come into these events and we see senseless violence and mental illness, uh, that it's proof that our, our world needs Jesus more and more. And um, I just wanted to simply say, too, if, if any of you here just have maybe been stuck this week or if you, you feel like you need someone to talk to, uh, we have pastors and a staff and elders uh, that have reached out to me and said, hey, if anyone just needs to talk, we're not saying we have all the answers, but uh, if you need to process that, please let us know. We'd love to just come alongside of you and, and really help carry each other's burdens. In uh, other news, and maybe a little bit more cheery to talk about, I mentioned last week that on the stage with us was uh, Eli Cowling. Eli was um, basically interviewing for our position of director of worship. Really excited to let you know that uh, the Spirit confirmed in both of us, and Eli will be joining our team. In fact, tomorrow is his first day. He will be our worship pastor going forward. I know he's going to be here at some point. I don't see him here this morning, but we are grateful and thankful to God for answering that prayer. On behalf of the elders, I wanted to pass along that news, and I wanted to invite you. Could you put your hands together and thank God uh, for bringing Eli to join us on our team? It's going to be so good working with him. Well, I'll begin my talk like this. Uh, many of you know I've shared before that my grandma was a really big part of my faith journey growing up. In fact, I would go to church every Sunday with my grandma. Her name was Olga Fried. <laughs> she was Russian-German. Everyone called her Ali, which I think was much prettier than Olga. Uh, my grandma was fierce. Uh, she was only five foot two and shrinking every year. And she was this powerhouse. She was a, a business leader and a property owner. But what I remember my grandma for is her baking, and especially her pies. My grandma could make every pie imaginable, like the really difficult ones. She could make the lemon meringue pie, uh, my favorite banana cream pie, uh, all the strawberries and rhubarbs. And I think my grandma could even make mincemeat pie taste good. I think it was all the rum she put in the pie, actually. But... But uh, I remember on Sunday going to church with her. We attended a church downtown Grand Rapids, and it was before the medical mile was all expansive. And my job on Sunday morning would be to carry one of her pies across Michigan Avenue, up the stairs to the church, into the narthex, down the stairs, through the basement of the church, and into the newest part of the church, the church kitchen. church had a kitchen back then. And uh, the instructions were the same every week. Put the pie in the fridge. And grandma would just simply say, someone needs it. And uh, I never saw, like, a leftover pie in the fridge. I never, you know, got to see, like, an extra piece laying around. It was always gone. And I found out later that those pies would go to people in the church, shut-ins in the community. They would go to 
new families that visited the church, they would go to people who were at the hospital on extended stays. And those pies were, in a way, kind of my grandma's little legacy to that church. And my grandma loved her church. I think she outlived most of the congregants in that church. She outlived many of the pastors. And that was her little legacy, her little gift to that community. When I was really little, she would keep me quiet in the front row in the pew that she sat in by giving me this little rhyme that I had to kind of do when I got annoyed with the service going too long. She would take my hands and she would say, Ronnie, and let's just get this straight. My grandma was the only person that called me Ronnie, trying to keep it that way, okay? But she would say, Ronnie, and she would put my hands together and she would say, this is the church, this is the steeple, look inside, see all the people. And that would keep me entertained during a church service. You're welcome to use that this morning if the sermon gets a little dull and boring. But I think about that, all those people. I look out at the church and I see all the people and everybody has an opportunity to have a legacy of their own. And the rhythm I want to talk about today gives you that opportunity. It's already been teased out. Justin mentioned it. Joy mentioned it. It's this rhythm of serving the community to look beyond your needs and into the needs of other people. Um, I, I imagine this topic for some of you this morning, this is something you've heard a hundred, maybe a thousand times, serving. For others of you, this might be a new concept. You might be here this morning saying, Pastor, I don't even know what you mean, serving in the church, where and what, and how does that all come together? I'm glad you're here this morning. I want to be really clear at the beginning of this message. I'm going to kind of put all my cards out on the table. I'll show you my hand. I've only got two things I want to do this morning, two objectives. I want to biblically teach you this morning why it's important that we serve, and then I simply want to invite you to boldly serve here with us. Uh, that's all I plan to do. And so if you've got a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 6. Uh, Acts is in the New Testament, basically towards the back of your Bible. If you're new to the Scriptures, uh, it's after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. It's actually called Acts of the Apostles. This is the point in kind of the history where Jesus has come into the world. Uh, he's taught this way of living, of following after God. He's, he's lived this perfect life. Jesus has actually gone to the cross, and he's died for the sins and the forgiveness of every single person, and he's conquered the grave and death through his resurrection. Jesus has done all that, and he's given to the church this, this mission to, to start, to lead this revolution of love. And the church gets started, and it's explosive, and it's, it's so simple, right? It's, there's no budgets, there's no boards, there's no buildings, it's just people gathering together. And in the early churches where they first started to practice all these rhythms we've been looking at, they would get together and study God's word. They would form groups together and pray with one another. Uh, they would sell land and like generously give so that there'd be no needs that go unmet in the community. Uh, they would practice repentance. In fact, the very first sermon is given by a guy named Peter. He's kind of when he's with Jesus, but at the beginning of the church, he really gets it right. He, he stands up in front of a large crowd of people and basically says, Jesus is God, and you killed him. Repent, turn from your sins, and follow him. And in that moment, 3,000 people give their life to Jesus. That's a pretty effective sermon. I'm just going to go on record as a pastor of saying, you know, it's a pretty good day in the church. And the church is now kind of taking off. It's rapidly growing. Uh, you could say that as the church is growing, it's experiencing growing pains. It's having a hard time keeping up with this explosive growth. Greater the size of the church, the greater the problems and the needs around it. And in fact, you're going to read in this uh, chapter, you're going to read the very first argument in the church. 
Kind of the first conflict. You could call it the first church fight that ever takes place. Acts chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 1. It says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Let me just pause here for a moment and just frame the the problem for you. In fact, um, it's not too unlike today. In that day, there was a class of people that were underserved and were barely getting by. In that day, it was the widows. In fact, in our day and age, there are still widows all around the world uh, that are struggling. In fact, not coincidentally, um, this morning, we have a team from Bridgeway that is in Guatemala City with our partner, Bridge of Hope, and they're getting ready. They're probably packing up We call it the chicken bus, because you can't be a chicken to get on it. It's really dangerous to ride on this bus. And and it goes from Guatemala City into the mountains, and they're going to serve widows and orphans there. They're going to build homes. They're going to have a feeding program that we're a part of there. And and the needs are still real around the world. Uh, Keep praying for our team down there. Pastor Mike is on that trip. Uh, I know he's going to have some great stories and some great pictures to share when he gets back. But in this day and age, the the widows were the most uh, underprivileged in the entire Roman world. In fact, as this church is growing, you see that in many cases, these widows were providing for the church. If you were here last week, I talked about generosity. And and the person that was featured was this one woman, a widow, who, who went to the offering basket and dropped in her two copper coins. And it it was noticed by Jesus. Jesus took note of this woman's sacrifice, and, and Jesus said that she gave everything that she had. Now, just think about that for a moment. I mean, just play that forward a few hours or a few days. I mean, if, if she has taken her two copper coins and given them into the offering, and she's given everything she's had, well, then how does she, like, provide lunch later that afternoon? I mean, how does she put food on the table for herself or maybe even the people around her? I mean, does she just pray, hoping that a ham sandwich will fall out of the sky, right? Like, how does that work? Well, they were the ones who were in need. In fact, it was a class system in that day. Uh, it was a male-dominated culture. Men were at the top of the system. And then below the men would be essentially the slave men, and then the women, and then the children, and then the slave women. And that very bottom, below slave women, would be widows. And Now they come to the church, and we're told that it's to be different. In fact, Paul captures this so well. He says, it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Greek or slave or free or man or woman. You are all now one in Christ. Welcome to the church. Here's all the people. And yet there's still this problem. These widows are still being mistreated. In fact, we see that among the widows, there's even kind of a a finer fracture of two different classes, two different types. There's Hellenistic widows, and there's Hebraic widows. And so the Hellenistic Jews, they come to this church and they say, hey, you're you're overlooking our widows. The Hebrew widows are getting cared for, but our widows are being overlooked. Now, just to kind of clear up a point of context here, um, Hellenistic and Hebraic, uh, essentially what it would have meant is the Hebraic people would have been true to the Jewish faith from the beginning. They would have stayed in Jerusalem. They would have always followed the Jewish ways. Uh, the Hellenistic Jews would have been people that would have been scattered. They would have kind of left uh, Jerusalem. And what happened in that time is everybody became Hellenized. They became kind of indoctrinated into the Greek culture. 
And that's what the Hellenistic Jews were. They were indoctrinated into Greek culture, Greek practices, but then they kind of came back to the Hebrew faith. Regardless, they're all one big happy church now. There's all the people in the community, and there's this problem. Some are being overlooked. Let's read, picking back up in verse 2, the, the solution. It says, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the 12 apostles get together. These are kind of the 12 original disciples of Jesus. This is Peter and James and John. And they say, hey, we got a problem here. We have to run the church, but yet we've also got to run this parachurch ministry. We've got to create worship services for upwards of 3,000 people, and we've also got to put together a soup kitchen. We've got to, like, counsel and spend time in prayer and teach people God's word, while at the same time, we've got to, you know, peel potatoes and, and serve, you know, people. It's a problem. We can't do it all. We can't kind of cover all this ground with just so few of us in serving in leadership positions. I know what you're saying. I say it all the time. Pastor's job is never done, right? Like, there's always more work than can ever be done by any one person or any small group of people. My dad teases me uh, quite often. He'll say, what do you mean? Like, what do you actually do? I mean, you only work like one day a week, Ron. You know, like, I said, Dad, I only work one day. I only work like, I preach for 30 minutes. That's an hour a week, you know? Like, it's, it's a great job. Sermons just fall out of heaven, right? You know, and there's this misunderstanding that there's so much to do. And in the church, it would have been really difficult to say, how do we overlook these needs? We've got teaching and discipleship needs, and then we've got people, and we have to care for them and make sure that they're cared for at the most basic of needs. And so their solution is really quite simple. Let's organize this thing. Let's get out some you know, flow charts. Let's create an organization, organizational chart, divisions, reporting structure, responsibility. Let's do this. Let's kind of use a business model in the way in which the church is operating. And then let's pick up and let's see how this works out for him, picking back up in verse 5. It says, This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread... And the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. I love how this story kind of shows us a direct result to them praying and then discussing about what a better structure would be. I love this. So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. I won't spend much time on this, but it's kind of interesting. You read that. And you have to sort of interpret it as, well, there was a period of time where the priests in the church, they weren't very obedient, meaning they weren't obedient by trying to do it all on their own. And the only way that they became obedient, faithful to the faith, was by having this structure of saying, you know what, this church can be ordered much, much better, much better. What's needed is everyone in the game. That's what's needed. So it's a well-oiled, supercharged serving machine. 
So I just want to ask some questions about this story this morning. As I said from the beginning, I've got two goals. I want to give you a biblical teaching on serving, and then I want to invite you to serve boldly here with us. I don't do shame, and I don't do guilt. I just want to simply present this to you. But as I was reading through this this week, I had a couple of questions. And the first question I had about the text is, is why does this seem so male-dominated? Right? I mean, did you pick up on that when we read through this story? I mean, why are only the men being encouraged to lead in this community? I mean, it's clear the widows are the women, and they're the ones that need serving, but why aren't any women being highlighted in this story? kind of seems that there's this discrimination or there's this bias towards men, like, eh, all the dudes run the church, you know, that's just kind of the way it goes. And in many ways, this would be kind of reading into it uh, what isn't really there in kind of the full history of the church. Uh, C.S. Lewis has this great way of thinking of it. He says, you know, we look at the Bible and we look at what happened 2,000 years ago, and, and he says, we have this chronological snobbery, you know? We look at it and we think everything should be like it is already. And we have to realize that the people in this day were under a different system and under a different sort of cultural bias in that day. In fact, um, I'll say a few words about serving. This whole idea of waiting on tables, uh, it's, it's where we get the idea of serving from. It, it's one word in the Greek language. It's the word diakonos. It's where we get the word deacon from. And this is true. These seven that are selected are sort of the first deacons in the church. But that word diakonos is actually used like 162 times. I couldn't believe this this week as I was studying. 162 times in Scripture, only two times is it used for deacons. The other 160, it's used to describe men and women, people of all different backgrounds, serving God together. In fact, you see that there's sort of this inbreaking, there's sort of this change that's going on because of the church. The culture is changing. In fact, in just a few chapters from this, uh, you read about a whole section of Scripture devoted to a woman named Tabitha. And she was highlighted in the text because she was noted for her serving. And she died in the church, and the church kind of like missed her, like wasn't functioning without Tabitha. So there's a whole section about how she served the church. And then a few chapters later, you read about Lydia. And she's this successful businesswoman, uh, and she's used by Paul to start the church in one of the most influential cities, Philippi. You see, there's this changing that Jesus is coming to to have. In fact, Jesus was always equal in how he treated people. I mean, certainly he had James and John, but he had his close friends Mary and Martha. There was always this sort of opportunity to be equal in how he treated everyone. I, I think sometimes people read the Bible and they say, oh, the Bible is so oppressive of women or it's just so outdated and actually it's missing. It's an adventure in missing the point of what Jesus came. He came to liberate and to give all people equality. In fact, here at Bridgeway, we believe in kind of the big word of the day is egalitarian. We believe in these equal roles for men and for women. If you're new to the church, uh, we believe that men and women can serve faithfully and equally at any role. As pastors, as elders, as deacons, all are encouraged. And they're encouraged to serve in their area of giftedness, which I'll get to in just a second. The second question uh, on this is, well, then, where do I serve? If we're all one, men and women, young and old, every single person, then, well, pastor, where do I serve? And I would say that serving really comes down to kind of this integration of two things, your, your area of passion and the area of need in the community, in the church. And the better you can align your passion and your gifting with the needs, I, I think the more fulfillment that you'll have. 
Now, you read this story, and some of you might be reading the story this morning thinking, well, I sure hope they don't ask me uh, to serve at the homeless shelter. I hope they don't ask me to serve at the, you know, at the feeding program. And, you know, that may not be your passion, but I want to kind of just slow you down for a moment, and I want to encourage you not to rush past something that could be a whole new experience that could absolutely open you up to God's heart for, for others. In fact, um, I, I shared a few months ago that uh, part of Serve Day that's coming up, um, we actually did as a staff, we went to Degage Ministries, Justin talked about it as well, and I've served in those contexts um, many, many times, and and yet this last time was, was something special. It was just something different for me. And I find myself, you know, even now just kind of looking back on conversations I had with our, our staff that was there and uh, with people that I met and faces that, you know, have kind of been etched in my mind. And I just think, man, I, I needed that uh, so bad in my life to just serve and to come alongside of a need that was really, that is really important to our community. And so maybe you don't think that it's something you'd be engaged in, but maybe it's something that, that God needs to kind of break into your heart and into your soul. In fact, I think this is part of the trick is, well, how do I figure out my passions while at the same time not ignoring the needs that are around me? And the church has definite needs of serving and opportunities to get involved. In fact, um, I think of my own life and, and in many ways how I didn't really start to serve in the church till kind of later. In fact, um, Sean and I had gotten married, and, and we were involved in a church. We attended the church. We had a small group, but, but I really didn't serve on a regular basis. I mean, I got together. I had coffee with my small group, but, but it wasn't really anything more than that, and it wasn't until I had my oldest daughter, Anne-Marie, and you know how they tell you that a, a child changes you? Well, this child changed us in, in some amazing and fantastic ways, one of which was uh, we would go to church, and like many of you, we had the baby depository at the church. You know, you drop the kid off, you give him the diaper bag, and you come back an hour later, and your, your kid is fed, and diapers change. It's like, this is a great deal. This is awesome. This is a great gig. And until one Sunday, and I'll never forget this Sunday, they gave us our daughter back, and they said these words. They said, we love having Anne Marie in the nursery here with us. And we'd love to have you in the nursery here with us. In fact, they took the initiative and they signed us up. Can you believe that, church? They put us on the monthly rotation. And I love my kid, and I don't mind changing that diaper, but other people's kids was not a passion of mine. Not at all. And I remember going very begrudgingly. A lot of bitterness in my heart that first Sunday. And, and yet it opened me up to how, wow, there's a whole other side of this thing called the church that I haven't experienced or appreciated or been a part of. And, and I, I served, and it was really a, a great experience and sort of an on-ramp for me. In fact, I learned that you can graduate out of nursery if you find another need in the church. <laughs> and so uh, she was still a baby, but we, we had a real passion for, for youth, and uh, we got plugged into the high school ministry. And um, I remember the high school pastor at the time said, hey, you look like you like reading the Bible, how about you start teaching it on Sunday morning? And so I did a little high school Bible study every Sunday, and then that turned into, hey, why don't you come on Sunday night and maybe give a message once a month? And then that turned into, how about you come on Sunday morning and preach to the adults? And 20 years later, you know, like I never once thought I'd be doing that. And here's just what happens when you just say, you know, God, I'm, I'm willing. I'm willing to serve. And I think it's kind of like that. It's like a serve in tennis, right? You got to kind of Put the ball up in the air, and you got to put it in play. 
And when you do, you just sort of kind of give up this illusion of control that your life is truly yours, and you just see what God will do with your life. I love these words from Paul in Romans 12. He's talking about spiritual gifts. He says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And this is one of about four or five places in Scripture that begin to lift, off, lift up uh, specific gifts in the church and in the person. Every person has a spiritual gift. And the task is really to determine, you know, what's, what's my gift? What's the way in which God has uniquely uh, equipped and designed me to contribute to his body? And this can be just a, a lifelong journey. Now, some of the gifts listed here are actually rhythms that we're all called. We're all called to practice serving and generosity. But the text kind of highlights that, that some people have this additional capacity. They're really, really good in these areas. And the trick is, of course, figuring out which your gift, what your gift mix is. We want to come alongside of you and help you. And we've always had this uh, really simple way in which you can begin to kind of assess yourself. We call it a, a spiritual gifts inventory uh, it's right on our website. It's also on our app. In about five minutes, you can take that little self-discovery quiz, and you can determine what your gifts are. We'd highly encourage you to do that. Uh, last question I want to hit, and then that will lead us into a time of communion. It's really the question of involvement. How do I get involved? I'm so glad you asked this morning. In fact, um, we want to make that really simple. And as I said, I don't do guilt, and I don't do blame, and I just simply want to give people an opportunity to use the gifts. It's really a conversation between you and God as to how you will use your time and your talents and your treasures. And at the church, we just want to um, give you an on-ramp, make it really easy for you to make that first serve. In fact, um, a lot like the first church, uh, we learned the same things. We learned that as we grew, we had to become better organizationally. We had to, you know, like organize ourselves. And technology is a beautiful thing. In fact, most all of our volunteers come through uh, just signing up and saying, you know what, I'll give this a try. I'll take a first serve in whatever area is needed, and I'll see where that kind of leads me. And so we wanted to make that on-ramp really simple. In fact, on our website, right at the very top of the page, there's a button you can click on to sign up. You can scan that little QR code, download the app. Same thing, it's got a sign-up option. I thought I would just highlight this. In fact, this is off of our web page. It's really simple. It's all menu-driven. You can click right on it. Justin talked about some of these, like Serve Day. You can click on that. You can sign up as to which uh, ministry you want to serve in on March 11th. There's the Daddy-Daughter Dance. There's also an opportunity to volunteer with that. There's our first responder barbecue uh, luncheon dinner that we're going to be hosting. Really excited about this. Our opportunity as a church to give back that serve our community, fire and rescue, and first responders. And if that's something uh, you'd love to come alongside, we're looking for volunteers to help us. Uh, it's usually, usually a couple hours, both in the uh, afternoon as well as in the evening, to catch the third shifters. And we'd love to, again, have more than enough volunteers for that. If you're not seeing something to get involved in, you can always click the tab Join a Team. The Join a Team is the ministries that are organized here on Sunday morning to help us uh, have these worship services. You can click on that button, and it can lead you to all sorts of opportunities, whether that be being involved on the worship team up front on the stage. Maybe you play an instrument, kind of a hidden talent that we haven't discovered yet, and, and you have interest in singing or being part of the worship team. We're always looking to add to that. 
Um, maybe you've got technical abilities. We're always looking to add people to our technical arts ministry, running the sound, running the live stream, running the visuals on a morning basis. You may not know how to do all of that, but if you've got a heart and a passion for it, uh, we would love to train you. We're looking for about four people to join that team currently. Um, I mentioned children's ministry. We've got uh, always have opportunities in our J Seekers. In fact, I don't know if you realize this, but on a weekend, uh, we'll have anywhere from 100 to 150 kids back in J Seekers. 100 to 150, I'll say that again for emphasis. That's bigger than a lot of churches on a Sunday morning, and all those kids need love and care. I had such a, a sweet conversation with a family last week. Um, they just came up to me and, and were talking, and, and they said, yeah, we came to church this morning because our, our preschooler said, can we go to church those people love me at Bridgeway. And my heart just melted. I thought, wow, we've got people that are, are loving on kids, and, and we're always looking for more volunteers. We need adult volunteers right now. We've actually got lots of middle schoolers that are helping and high schoolers, but we're looking for about 10 to 15 adults uh, to hold babies. And uh, this was kind of given to me. I don't know if you realize this, but the babies at Bridgeway don't poop on Sunday morning. None of them do. It's like a promise, a guarantee. You won't have to change a single diaper back there. Uh, I promise you that. No, just kidding. Um, but you can be involved in that. There's greeters at the front door. We're looking for about six greeters to be a smiling face. We're looking for more people to help with serving coffee. Uh, teaser alert, we got a brand new coffee system that's going to be going in uh, very shortly, so you can be kind of on the ground floor of helping us with that, as well as projects around the building. We're looking for about four people to help with maintenance and keeping this, this old house uh, operating smoothly. So lots of opportunities. You can serve as little as once a month, or you can serve every Sunday. Uh, we'd be grateful if you gave that your consideration and your prayers this morning. Brings us to a time of communion, and I want to invite the worship team to come up and to lead us. And really, this entire message is all about the gift of service and how that was modeled through Jesus. Jesus came, and right up until the very last moment of his life, he was serving. He, he served a meal to his disciples where he took the bread, and he broke it, and he gave it to them and said, take and eat. This is my body. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, and he said, take and drink. This cup represents the forgiveness of all of your sins because of the shedding of my blood. And we now prepare our hearts for that experience as well. Um, if you've never had communion with us at Bridgeway, it's very simple. We want to give you some time uh, while the team is playing to just simply pray and examine your hearts. I would ask you this morning that you pray about what your gifts are and what your passions are and what needs you want to fulfill. And then when you're ready, you can come to the tables. There are two in the front and there are two in the back. And you can take the elements. And you can bring them back to your seat. You can take them whenever you're ready. But worship is a celebration, and so after you've taken the elements, you can stand to your feet and sing with us. If you would bow your heads and pray with me, please. God, I just thank you again for this story. I thank you for the way in which you've ordered and designed and organized the church. I pray, God, that every single person has an opportunity to not only receive salvation and forgiveness, Lord, but to step into a, a deeper and deeper walk with you, Lord. I pray that you would do that in the ways in which uh, you've designed each one of us, especially and uniquely, to serve your world in whatever capacity you call us to, Lord. We give you this time and we thank you for your church. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Check out our app or our website at bridgewaycommunity.org for more messages or to take the sermon one step deeper by downloading the Sermon Discussion Guide. 